Hey, and welcome to what we're calling Season 2 of the Beer and Bible Podcast. Getting I'm Paul. A little bit of a late start. Yeah. I'm Paul. I'm Dan. And we're easing back into this with a topic that's going to be fun. Yeah, we're talking about Satan, which could come as a surprise to anybody that actually follows our podcast closely <laughs> because we said we'd be talking about atonement. <laughs> but we've been off. We haven't recorded really since October. Mm-hmm. Um just trying to get schedules worked out, new jobs, and all that has been interesting. And holidays. Holidays. And, and weather. The weather in Michigan the last couple of weeks has been very interesting, to say the least. We had a state of emergency. Yeah. Some of us lost power for a couple of days. Snowed yep. in. Yep. But um, we're back on track, hopefully. We're going to be doing um, what we're calling the Bad Words series. Yep. Um, starting with Satan. It's going to be a multiple parts here. Um, well, Sin was last. Sin the was last it. episode. So if you want to go back and haven't heard the last episode of... I think that was episode 13 of season one. Or 14. Oh. Do we have 14 episodes? We need a research department. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was 14, 14. episodes. I think episode 14 is on Sin. And now um, we're going to do... Now we're doing Satan. Satan. And Satan's going to be a little more complex. I think it's going to take us... Um, three weeks probably so we're going to chart it out different uh, we're going to chart it out with satan in the old testament yep then we're going to look at some intertestamental stuff in the next episode yeah so the whole period between the old testament and the new testament and then we're going to jump into the new testament after that yep which is which is a uh, good way to build the character of satan from the beginning to the time of christ um kind of like a backstory because everybody has this view of who satan is we have this Growing up, what did you, what did you think of Satan? <laughs> um, fallen angel, used to be really close to God, wanted power and glory for himself, um, started a rebellion in heaven, and was thrown down to earth where he makes all of our lives miserable, inhabited a snake briefly, <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he kind of goes dark during the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, he's like a main character in the Gospels. Yeah. Um, like right there, right in the wilderness temptation scene, he becomes a manifested being tempting Jesus. Because we kind of have like the garden, Job, and then Jesus. Yeah. And, and churches don't really teach that part of Job. <laughs> no, they don't know. <laughs> they skip past that and they go into like the more philosophical discourse because it gets awkward and we'll get to that later yeah. on why why we think why it's kind of an awkward thing to look at yeah. in the book of Job but um, so yeah my, my thoughts of when I was younger Satan the devil and all that was yeah the whole idea of fallen angel Lucifer Lucifer wanted to be just like God and then God's like no I can't have you in my sight because you are evil mm-hmm. thrown down to earth to mess with all of us and then Jesus has to come and save us from this Satan evil person, kind of. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. the the world belongs to him. Yeah, is something he's that, a prince of the world. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's so much because when pastors would talk about him growing up, I grew up in the charismatic background, so you know we believed demon possession could happen anywhere, anytime, pretty much, yeah. and the devil was somehow behind it, him and his minions. So. Yeah, the devil was real to me and scary to me. And, and growing up kind of in a semi-Baptist tradition, you have this idea of the devil's happy on Good Friday. He's like, yes, I finally won. I've killed God. And there's this like cosmic battle for souls almost that go on. Like mm-hmm. 
was it Frank Peretti with this, this present darkness? Have you ever read that series? I read part of it. Um, it's interesting to me that most pastors teach, maybe not most, a lot of American Baptist pastors teach that the devil is winning in the battle for souls. <laughs> it's a very pessimistic way to look at the world, isn't it? Yeah. Jesus is pretty good at winning souls, but like, Satan's better. Yeah, Satan's better at it. I don't think you're reading the same Bible. <laughs> I haven't really looked at it that way before. Like they, they do. It's kind of like we got to wide go. is the road that leads to destruction. destruction. Narrow the one that leads to life. Yep. So, um, both because this is our first time back in a while, and because I think it is important to remind us of a couple of things before we begin this study. Um, there's a couple. Um, points I want to highlight. One is that the Bible is meant to be read from beginning to end, building and developing themes and characters all along the way. And this is also true with the development of Satan. So Satan starts off in a very um, specific role in the Old Testament, which we're going to see. And we're going to like firmly cement that role by reading every passage about the devil in the Old Testament. And then we're going to continue in, not in this episode, but how things changed, how it developed closer to where we are today and in the New Testament. Um, The other thing is that the Bible wasn't originally written in English. So this is going to be one of those uh, annoying topics where we have to talk a little bit about other languages and how words and things develop over time. And how they're translated and transliterated and all that. And then we've got the, fun, the three fun facts that we want to use to get us started. Kind of like Satan in the Old Testament is only mentioned three times. Mm-hmm. And we're going to touch on some of those, or all of those. But then in the New Testament, maybe he kind of has this like awakening where he's mentioned <laughs> 34 times. So he goes from like yeah. a minor character to like this big influence yep. in a matter of, I mean, between the two, the New and the Old Testament. Yeah. Well, in the Old Testament, to be fair, there are like 17 verses. So if somebody Googles real quick, mm. just to fact check, there's 17 verses, but 14 of those occurrences are in the book of Job within two chapters. Within so, the narrative of yeah, Job. Yeah, so Job yeah. is the one occurrence, and then Chronicles and Zechariah. Yeah. So it's not, we're not talking about the word being used three times. We're yeah. talking about the character yeah. being yeah. brought about three times. Yeah. And then the name, the name, the devil, is not used at all in the Old Testament. Yeah, it does. It doesn't even appear. It does in the King James, actually. In the what? Yeah, okay. The King, King James, James translates pretty much anything unclean spirit or dark spirit or anything along those lines as, as devil. devil. Which we, which is why we go back to yeah. the idea of the Greek and the Hebrew and the original words yeah. because sometimes these translations kind of do not give, do not do credence to the to the original text. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And this third fact is one that's interesting to me, is that Lucifer and Satan have nothing to do with each other. Yep. Which is why most modern English translations do not even have the name Lucifer in the Bible at all. Right. There's a whole TV show based on Lucifer. I know. <laughs> being the son of like, I know. Being the, the devil. This, this might be hard for some people to accept, but um, I'll show. It's so easy. Like the first time, I grew up always believing that Lucifer was a fallen angel. Mm-hmm. And... It's just not there. But that's in the Bible. It's not, though. It's <laughs> sort of in the King James if you read one verse and ignore all of the context. But So we'll get to that. Um, if you're listening, um, struggle bust through with us because that fun fact will be explained here shortly. Oh, foreshadowing. So, oh, we're yeah. teasing them now. Yep. 
Well, I've got to do something to keep people listening. <laughs> so, uh, where does Satan first come on the scene? Genesis, of course. The right? serpent? The serpent. Of course that's Satan. Uh, we can read that back into that passage. And by... We can't really do that. If we're using the Bible, um, I'll even go so far as to say if we're doing the whole sola scriptura thing, yeah, um, only the scriptures, you cannot say on page one, if you're reading cover to cover, that the serpent is the, the devil. Yeah, You might be able to get there through the book of Revelation, but that's not until the very end of the Bible. So you're reading through the whole Bible with this understanding that the serpent was a beast, a serpent. Yeah. And that's the hard part because a lot of us, or most of us, if not all of us, come to the scriptures with all these preconceived ideas already. Yeah. Like we have these preconceived notions that the devil is the one who was the serpent because that's what's been taught and that's what's been told. But when you're when you're looking at it with fresh eyes or reading it for the first time, you're not reading all, bring all that baggage in with right. you. Well, right, exactly. And it's not to say that the serpent in the garden couldn't have been linked to the Satan character um, down the line. Yeah. But for our purposes, we're trying to read it from the beginning and see how this character builds over time. Yeah. So we're going to leave the snake as the snake for now. And going back to the idea of reading it from the beginning to the end, chronologically, Job predates Chronicles. Yeah. The, but we're going to go to Chronicles narrative first. Yep. Why? Um for a couple of reasons. One, because I don't believe this should even be about Satan as a supernatural being. Yeah. Um, so I'm part of, like, I'm I'm in league with the guys that say, based on the context, this shouldn't even be about the devil. So uh, here's the passage, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. So First Chronicles 21, verse 1, this is the first time that Satan appears in the Bible. Um, chronologically anyway. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So that's the whole thing. That's the whole the whole yeah. narrative right there. The first time that, the, yeah. that Satan is mentioned yeah. by name. Yeah. If you're flipping through the book or through the Bible cover to cover and we come to this verse, you have no framework for who Satan is at this point. There has been no Precursors, no build-up, no explaining that there's a rebel out there in the cosmic, semi-supernatural realms. So there's just no context for this to be about Satan. Yeah. You have no framework. And when you say there's no framework for it to be Satan, you're talking about the idea of what we have as Satan in our minds today. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So the word that's translated Satan there... Is adversary. So here's... Here's why I don't think this is actually about the devil. Because um, Satan means adversary. And this has led many scholars to debate if this should even be translated as a proper noun with a capital S. It could just be translated as an adversary stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Because with our baggage we bring into this, when we read then Satan, we bring all the supernatural... The guy yeah. who is out to get win more souls yeah. than Jesus to destroy yeah. humanity. And we read all that into that. And that might be not being true to the text. Right. Well, and it also is just there's 
this is the first verse, so there's, there's, no background there's nothing. Yeah. yeah, we're bringing it's all like, the crap into it instead yeah. of reading it with, with, with a clear view yeah. and asking, well, okay, what makes more sense in the narrative, Satan or adversary? Yeah, exactly. Now, I mean, it can be Satan, so then if we put the context back onto it once we know the character, yeah, then it does make sense that the devil would try to get David to count the count his troops because he's forbidden from doing that. And that's an interesting context, right? Because yeah. if you just read this on its own, you're thinking, okay, this supernatural... If, you're, if I'm reading it through, for lack of a better word, my Baptist upbringing, Baptist-style upbringing, I would say, well, what, what... So this cosmic being who's out to destroy the world decides to make David count the people of Israel. Who cares? Yeah. Right. What's so wrong about that? Right. Just on the surface. So what is wrong? Why, why should David not count... His people. Um, because the law says that the kings of Israel should not count their military um, because they don't want them to boast in their forces. Instead, they're supposed to trust God to deliver them. Yeah. So we have this adversary who shows up and tell, kind of incites David, hey, who's got a bigger army? Yeah. Kind of deal. Yep. And I've heard this uh, laid out a couple different ways. One person said... This could be anybody that walks into David's courtroom and is like, you need to count your army before we do this, before we enter this battle, because that is the con- the greater context. Yeah. Is they, they have to go to war, essentially. Um, they are trying to assess their position in the table of nations. And that's the context. Is Anybody could have walked into David's throne room and said, count this army, we need to know what we're dealing with before we go into battle here. Almost like saying we need to know our numbers yeah. before we go and attack yeah. or defend because yeah. we need to know if we've got the advantage or not. Yep. Uh, David falls for it. He does tell Joab, um, his right-hand man, head of the bodyguard, um, he sends him out to count up the troops, and Joab even warns him, says, hey, we're not supposed to do this. <laughs> so, I mean, reading the context of who we know Satan to be later back onto this passage, it works. Yeah. But it's kind of weird if you're just reading through the Bible and all of a sudden you see, and Satan stood against Israel. It's like, well, who's this Satan character? There was no lead up to, no context to build this character. Do you think the original readers or the original writers had some idea, not not the same idea we have as what we might call Satan, but this idea of a adversary against Israel. I think it's likely because in the Hebrew Bible, um, I believe first and second Chronicles are the last two books. I think you're right. Yeah. So I believe that this would have context. Yeah. If if we were reading a Hebrew Bible, we would be reading Job well before we read this. Yeah. So there would be context. But in our Protestant Bibles, as we start reading through, this is your first occurrence of reading about Satan, and there's no backstory to him. So, yeah. I just thought that was interesting. That the first one is devoid of the context that we yeah. put it put onto it. And literally, just looking at the language, it doesn't necessarily have to be a supernatural being Satan in this context. So this it's is the first passage about Satan, but it might not be about, about Satan. Satan. Yeah. It could just be an adversary of Israel. Yep. So let's talk Job, because Job is by far our biggest Old Testament source 
Yeah, so Job um, chapter 1, it kind of sets the scene um, with Job as a wealthy man who was blameless and upright and righteous before God, one who feared God and turned away from evil. Um, I like the little thing you <laughs> added in there. Take that and shove it, you Calvinists. <laughs> kind of like, he turned away from evil, he had free will. Anyway, um, he could uh-huh. choose. And he was blameless and upright. Right, he was perfect, <laughs> oh no. Um, well, it doesn't say perfect, but sorry, blameless. Blameless and upright. Yeah. Um, so I'll start reading with Job chapter 1, verses 16 through 12. And this is kind of where we get a development of a character of Satan. Mm-hmm. And he says this, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And this is why like pastors kind of skip over this, because <laughs> it goes kind of all against what happens in, in our minds in heaven, right? Yeah. And Satan also came along with them. The Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? Satan answered the Lord and said, um, from going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, um, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, who fears the Lord and turns away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for no reason? Have you not put a hedge around him and his house and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will curse you in your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand. Only against him do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went from the presence of the Lord. That's kind of unsettling, I think, to most people. Here's like God's heavenly boardroom. I imagine like an executive's meeting. Um, He's called together these beings called the sons of God. And they came to present themselves. And then he, Satan walks in and he's like, so Satan, what have you been up to? Oh, you know, just walking all around the earth, checking stuff out. Oh, so you've seen my man Job. It's, it's just like, such a bizarre setup. It's like so nonchalant about it as well. Yeah. It's not, I mean, yeah. so, so I mean, the thing that when you sit down and actually read through this and take this seriously, the picture is being painted is that God is having a meeting with other mm-hmm. celestial beings mm-hmm. and they present themselves before God and Satan joins them. Yeah, so there's been a lot of work done on this. Um, we're not going to get into it too much today, but one thing that would help if people want to go down the rabbit hole, there's a, a guy named Michael Heiser who did um, a ton of podcasts on the unseen realm. So basically the other, the other thing name for this is uh, the divine council. So there's this idea in the old Testament that God um, is not the only God, but he's the high God and all these other nations, gods, the people aren't objecting to the fact that there are gods. It's just that Yahweh is the top the God. True God. Yeah, yeah. The King of King and Lord of Lords. Yeah. That he's God of gods. Um, and so following along with that logic, they believed then that, well, your nation has a God, but your nation's God just works for my God. Yeah. Um, that was kind of like what the average person on the street believed. It wasn't that they denied the existence of the other gods. So most um, people that have done research into the divine council 
And again, that guy's name is Michael Heiser. Unseen Realm was the book he did, and he's done a bunch of podcasts and videos on YouTube. Uh, but this setup is called the Divine Council. It's like his boardroom, and he calls all the executives in, and Satan happens to be among them. Maybe he's one of them. Right. I mean, that's what the picture is being painted, yeah. really. Because as Satan enters into this boardroom, there's no, like, get behind me, Satan, or get out of here, or you <laughs> no. don't belong here. No, actually. There's a dialogue between the two of them. Yeah. It's just like, hey, status report, Satan. How's yeah. things going on Earth? Yeah. <laughs> and this blow, I mean, when I first started looking at this more, it blew my mind. Yeah. To be honest. I mean, because when you're, it goes counter sometimes to this to the narrative that that is presented from pulpits at times. Right. Because it's skipped over. It's you, you jump down to the, oh, now God is allowing Job to be tested. Mm-hmm. And we skip over that. There's a bunch of sons of God that are coming together. Yep. Most times when you hear, oh, the preaching today will be from Job, you're thinking it's going to be about living through suffering, not about um, the devil and God talking about people yeah together so so and this is where the character of satan is is revealed yep or it, it, so with the chronicles one we don't have it as much we'd have this adversary mm-hmm. this is where the I, the idea of a cosmic being who goes by satan shows up yeah and he's actually referred to as a person yeah. or as a persona an entity of, yep. of, of sorts yep so it's super interesting. So the story continues. Um, Job loses everything in a day. Um, his wealth and his children. It says like a wind came from all four corners of the earth and collapsed the house upon all of his children who all happened to be dining together. So just bad day for Job. Um, but even in spite of that, he does nothing to tarnish his blame. Mm-hmm. He's still upright and does not sin. So then Job chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, we see a parallel narrative to the one above. So the same thing happens again. Again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord. And the Lord said to Satan, From where have you come? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth, and from walking up and down on it. And then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, blameless and upright man, who fears God and turns away from evil? He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. We're going to come back to that in a second. (laughs) Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, all that a man has he will give for his life. But stretch out your hand and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he is in your hand. Only spare his life. So this even alludes a little more to the bizarreness of the relationship here. Um, Verse 7, it just says, So he went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with loathsome swords from the sole of his foot, to the crown of his head, and he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. So it's almost like Satan is trying to get Job to hate God. Like that, yeah. that, that's what his purpose is in, the, in this narrative. Well, he's accusing man. He's like, man isn't good. You're just blessing him. So of course he loves you. Yeah. Of course he's good. He's privileged. <laughs> yeah. 
He's got everything he needs. Why yeah. would he not like you? Yeah. Why wouldn't he be honest? He doesn't need food. He's not starving. He's not in a third world country. He's wealthy. He has a good family. Um, so Satan takes on this role as an accuser of mankind. That men in general are pitiful. They're weak. You know, why God? Why do you, why do you think that he's good? Yeah. Um, skin for skin. Just let's, let's do something to Job directly and he'll curse you to your face. Yeah. Um, but there's that interesting line in there. Um, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. He's blaming God. You incited me. Well, God that says, says that. that. Yeah. God's saying, you incited me so who's to, doing? to take action. So yeah. it's almost like Satan came and said, well, do this stuff. And God says, you can do it. Satan goes out. But then God says in the next meeting, you know, in the first one, it says that Satan went out and was allowed to do these things. Yeah. But when it comes back, God says, you incited me to do all these things to Job. So it's weird. Like God is like taking ownership for the things that his board meeting is doing even though they're not things that God has done, has done or wants to, to do. do. Yeah. Which brings up a whole new, it opens a whole can of worms when you're reading through the Bible on the whole. When bad things happen. Yeah. Like this got taken ownership or yeah. the boardroom having a discussion upstairs. Yeah. Well, another popular one to talk about is the destroyer. There's a couple times where the destroyer is mentioned mm-hmm. and God um, sends out the destroyer. And it's like, well, what, what's, what's the destroyer the angel of death <laughs> yeah I mean. so there is um, there's a lot of interesting things about that again I can't recommend Michael Heiser's stuff enough because he does a lot on the divine council it's really good but the divine council pops up in several of the prophets it's in uh, Psalms it's here in Job it's uh, it's found in Genesis several times so it's it's a concept that can be tracked through the whole Bible. And the interesting thing is, after these two chapters in Job, Satan isn't mentioned for the other forty. Right. Like he's not. It's like, it's like he's he's served his purpose in the in the development of the story, mm-hmm. and his purpose is no longer needed. So he's not not mentioned. One thing that I I figured. Because I haven't read Job in a little while. So when I was studying for this, I was like, well, there's got to be a verse at the end where God comes back and shoves it in Satan's face. You know, look, he went through all this and we're still good. But it doesn't happen. Satan's just left off. You're not left knowing the conversation that happens. In the next board meeting. Yeah, in the next board meeting. So it's pretty interesting. So then there's another scene um, in Zechariah. Do you feel good about that with Job? You like yeah, I feel good about that. I mean, the, the, the neat thing about As these, good as we're going to get anyway. <laughs> without, without having to dive more into it, into the... Um, the th- I mean, the thing that always rubs me kind of r- the wrong way with the Job narrative is, first of all, the boardroom thing, because it goes against what you what you hear mm-hmm. in churches. But also this, this idea that God allows Satan to do something or gives permission to do something. Yep. And the whole time when you read, if you read Job from beginning to end, the, the narrative at the beginning sets up the end because Satan is accusing Job, saying he only loves God or only does the right things because God blesses it. 
and it has the whole hedger protection thing that we, t- mm-hmm. we, we can, that's a whole other <laughs> <laughs> prayer discussion. But that despite the accusations that Satan makes against Job, the end of the story is more, is, is shows that Job, despite the accusations, is still blameless. Yeah. And I always thought, well, at the end, he still gets everything back. <laughs> yeah. It, it's it, just an interesting book to wrestle with. It is. So, but that gives us basically the largest portion in all of Scripture to see what Satan's kind of job function is. Uh, and I like the way you put that. It's a job function. Because we always have this idea that Satan and God are in opposition to each other. Right. I mean, that's a general picture that's painted. That's going to develop more in the next episode um, as we get more into like the whole yin and yang, light and dark. Yeah polarization that happens um, due to Israel being conquered by other nations that bring that ideology into their into their culture. So, I mean, that's going to happen. We are going to get there. So if you're listening and you just, like, threw off your headphones, <laughs> like, you can go pick them up because what we're doing is we're reading the development of Satan throughout the Bible. Yeah. Um, and then next week will happen to be some intertestamental stuff, so... So there's a third time that Satan is mentioned. Yeah, this one is, to me, the most interesting. So this has been the book of Zechariah, yep. chapter 3. Yep, it's, and it's so, an apocalyptic book. So, so okay, everyone thinks Revelation when I think of... That. Apocalypse. Apocalypse, so... Yeah, uh, well, uh, it's a form of literature. Mm-hmm. Apocalyptic is a form of literature. So there's the book of Enoch is apocalyptic. Um, Zechariah is apocalyptic. There's portions of the book of Daniel that are apocalyptic. There are portions of Ezekiel that are apocalyptic. And then Revelation. Mm -hmm. So we have a good sampling of what this genre of literature does. And usually it involves um, visions of heaven. Or people being taken and shown things through Revelation. So Zechariah, we're going to be in chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, and it says this, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And the Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a a brand plucked um, from the fire? Now Joshua is standing before the angel, clothed with filthy garments, And the angel said to those who were standing before him, Remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, Behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So he put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. So another very interesting passage because... There's the angel of the Lord, which some people say, um, depends on the commentator, but some people attribute the angel of the Lord with Jesus. They mm-hmm. read Jesus back into the Old Testament. So whether it's Jesus or whether it's just an angel, Satan, again, is up in heaven. At his right hand. He's at the right hand of the angel of the Lord, standing ready to accuse. But this time we get the rebuke that we wanted to see in Job and we didn't get 
So in this passage, he says, The Lord rebukes you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebukes you. And then this line comes out that has become like very important to me. It's like a mantra because I feel so often like the church can be screwed up. Um, and then this line just pops in my head. Um, so the Lord has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? Like it's like God's way of saying like, look it, isn't this whole thing with humanity risky business to begin with? Like, isn't this just insane to think that we could foster and develop a people that is going to change the world? And I know it's like pulling a fire, a stick out of the fire. Yeah. Like that's God's language in this book. Um, And it's just, that's powerful to me because when we look around at church being screwed up and well-intentioned people failing everywhere, I just, I keep hearing those words. Isn't this like a stick just pulled out of a fire? Like, it's a mess. have a it's little a mercy. <laughs> yeah, and then it's cool because God doesn't just say, you know, this is risky business, but let's axe the failures. No, he says, hey, this guy's vestments are dirty. Let's take them off and give them clean, clean ones. ones. And he forgives sins, which is something that I didn't think was supposed to happen until after Jesus died. He forgives sins before the death yeah. and resurrection of Jesus? Yeah, that was sarcasm. Oh, oh sorry, yeah. But maybe we'll pull that back out when we talk about atonement. Yeah. Um, so, again, really interesting passage. Because we have, like, it's like what you said. In Job, Satan accuses Job. Yep. And God lets Satan go and have his way with yep. Job. Here we have Joshua the high priest. Mm-hmm. And as soon as Satan accuses him, God turns around and rebukes Satan. Yep. There's no consistency with these stories. (laughs) We like good packaged doctrine that we can say God always does this with Satan. Well, the cool historical background of this story is Joshua. So this is after the Israelites are given back their land. So they, uh, Babylon had come and destroyed everything. Mm -hmm. And then the Israelites were given a official government stipend to basically go and start their culture, community, and place of worship again. Rebuilt. And so they get sent out, and Ezra, Nehemiah, and Jeroboam. No, not Jeroboam. That was a king. Anyway, there's another guy. There's, oh, Zerubbabel. So it's Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah get sent out at different waves and phases with different groups of exiles to rebuild Jerusalem. And Joshua gets made the first high priest, and he tries to do everything he can to be by the book. So he goes into it trying to cleanse everything. He's trying to bring in um, Levites, um, who are people from the tribe of Levi, because he's trying to make sure that he's doing everything by the book so that when they finally get the temple ready, it'll be ready for God. And the belief was that God would come back and actually physically hang out, dwell in their temple if they just did things right. Yeah, so Joshua's whole idea is to rebuild the temple the way it was originally supposed to be. Yep. And everybody was, once everything was perfect and ready to go, that God would inhabit the temple again and everything yep. would be perfect. Yep. That everything would be the way it was supposed to be. Yep. So that doesn't happen. 
so in the past, like when the tabernacle was built, a huge pillar of fire comes out of the sky and a cloud of smoke and everything, and God's presence shows up in a big way. When um, the temple is built by Solomon and it's dedicated to God, same thing. A huge cloud of smoke descends on the temple and actually like fogs everybody out (laughs) of the temple. So God's presence shows up in big ways these other two times when the temple's dedicated. Now Joshua dedicates the temple and nothing Nothing happens. happens. (laughs) So I'm like, oh. Super anticlimactic. After years and years of rebuilding and developing, teaching priests, training priests, trying to build up the community, nothing happens. It's like building the whole thing and flipping the light switch and nothing happens. And then enter this passage. I mean, that's the context of this passage. And so so Satan is accusing Joshua that you've done something wrong. Yep. You're, you're, you're accused of doing wrong. That's why God didn't show up, kind of. Do that. Yeah. Well, Josh did. He did do something wrong. Well, Josh wasn't the greatest guy. But he, and, and, and just for those who are listening, this isn't Joshua. We're talking about people being led into the promised no, land way back. This is, no. And actually, when you're reading the story, he is referred to as Jeshua. Jeshua. Yeah. Joshua, Jeshua, Jesus are all the same name in the Bible. Yeah. So the interesting thing is you have this interaction now between God... And Joshua, where he cleanses him of his iniquities. Mm-hmm. He says his, his uh, garments are filthy. Angels over there put new garments on him. Yep. So, so the question we, I could, we could ask is, Satan's accusing somebody who is guilty of something. Mm-hmm. Like the accusations might be valid. Yeah, they were. They I were mean, valid. yeah, the, the prophetic voices of the time, um, what... What Joshua Joshua did that was wrong was people showed up from the four corners of the earth. I'm doing bunny ears or quotations. People showed up from all over to help build the temple. Mm-hmm. And Zerubbabel and Joshua sent them away saying, you have no part in building this with us. Yeah. Sorry, that was me. Um, they sent them away saying, you have no part in building this with us. Um, this is our temple this is our place whereas the prophets had said that when the temple was rebuilt that it would be all peoples from all nations and that it would all people would come to the mountain of the Lord they were trying to make Israel great again yeah yeah Yeah. their nationalism got in the way of them building a multi-ethnic multi-cultural movement like they were supposed to so that's what he did wrong but even then still God says hey isn't this like a stick I pulled out of the fire yeah Take those dirty clothes off. Let's get this guy clean again. Yeah. And the interesting thing with the parallels between this and the, the narrative in Job is the narrative in Job says that he was blameless and upright and God doesn't defend him. Right. But in the, in the Joshua or in the narrative in Zechariah of Joshua, he is guilty, but God defends him. Yeah. God rebukes Satan. Yep. I find because he can show mercy when he wants to. Why do you have to throw that what he wants to in there? <laughs> I'm just Cause it's for the, for the context, yeah. yeah. Well, because, yeah. Um, so that one is super interesting to me. Zechariah in general is just a a hoot to it's read. It's one that people don't preach out of much at all. <laughs> I'm saying that right. saying never preach out of the book of Zechariah. <laughs> it's yeah. It's like Revelation. It's not easy to get into. Yeah. Uh, at least in Revelation, people are like. 
I have to read this so I can know when I'm going to be raptured. Yeah. Zechariah is just like, I don't know when any of this is going to happen, and it scares me. <laughs> um, so those are the three. Those are all three Old Testament passages about Satan. Yes, um, and of no. course. I feel like it was a yes and no. Well, yes it is. Officially, yes. But everybody, the most prominent views of Satan actually come from a passage that doesn't talking about Satan. And, so let's yeah. stick to Satan before we, we burst everybody's balloon when it comes to Lucifer. Okay. So the three narratives or mentions of Satan in the scriptures in the Old Testament, one possibly doesn't speak to a character, speaks to an adversary. Yeah. Another one speaks to a character who is on talking terms with, speaking terms with God mm-hmm. and is accusing people. And then the third one is the same Satan, probably part of the boardroom, who is accusing Joshua and God redeems Joshua. Mm -hmm. And the two heavy context sightings of Satan both take place in heaven. Yes. Where we think of Satan as here. (laughs) Or or down below. Down below in hell. Yeah. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) In hell, in the underworld. Yeah, we'll get there in like three episodes. But the two times he is mentioned as a character, he's in the boardroom of God. Yep. In heaven. Yep. But God can't be in the presence of evil. I'm just saying that. That's what we hear over and over again. Right. How could that be? Well, and then what we end up doing is we let... Here's the shame or the... Yeah, shame on us. So we... (laughs) We end up taking our theology, and then we read that back onto every passage. Yeah. So we had a neatly packaged theology handed to us by a pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a Bible colleges, and then everything that doesn't fit into that paradigm, we take it and we take it like a puzzle piece that should be universal, and we just try and pack it onto every verse. Yeah. That we come to, and these verses are begging to just be read. Contextually, not not necessarily trying to build a whole theology around. Well, is God actually working with Satan or not? It's like he's a character that is clearly an adversary. He's he's against people. Yeah, and God is for people. I mean, that's kind of the takeaway. And I like the way that you worded it that way, because we always think of it as God against God and Satan against each other. But here we have God for people and Satan against people. I think it gives him a little too much credit if we think that he's somehow God's nemesis. Like God is struggling with Satan. Yeah. Nope. And that's maybe a little more Jewish view. They don't believe that Satan really has any... They believe in a some sort of um, embodiment of evil that could be con- called Satan or is like the equivalent of Satan, but they do not teach that that embodiment of evil is somehow struggling directly with God yeah. or equal to God. So so now, now the one in Isaiah is the one where, where you <clears throat> you kind of say this is where we pull a lot of our early pictures of who this the is, devil, Lucifer, Satan is. Yeah, this is where the whole angel motif thing starts as well as the... Um, this is where people talk about him being like a worship leader. Yeah. I mean, there, there's some weird stuff. Um, oh gosh, there's some weird stuff about Satan. But the so, son of the morning star. 
So back at the beginning of the podcast, I said that Lucifer and Satan actually have nothing to do with each other. Um, and to prove this, we need to actually first read in the KJV. I'm very sorry about that. Um, because, as I mentioned above, most English translations don't actually translate it as Lucifer. So I'd like to show you in the ESV, but the ESV got wise and did not translate it as Lucifer. And so here's the passage in KJV, Isaiah fourteen twelve. It says, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which disweaken the nations? I feel like that would be easier to say in a British accent. <laughs> so before we get into contextually why this can't be about Satan, let's see how this came to be translated this way. Um, so Hallel is the word used in this passage in Hebrew, which means a shining one. And I'll admit, all I heard when uh, I was reading this was the song from, is it Moana? With the uh, shiny crab. Oh, yeah. Oh, I can't think now of the song. Now it's going to be stuck now. in your head, <laughs> that earworm. So shiny. <laughs> so anyway, it's a shiny one. Um, the Hellel is the word used in this passage, and it's shining one. Lucifer is Latin. And it means light bringer. And it was a Roman Latin name for Venus, which is the planet Venus. But they didn't realize that it was a planet. They thought it was just another odd star. So because Venus um, has this discontinuous or seemingly random appearances in the sky, it only shows up so many years on certain nights, and it's harder to track. It gained this reputation in many cultures and many peoples as being a star that had fallen from heaven to earth or to the underworld. So this idea of a star falling is not unique to just Judaism or just um, modern-day Christianity, I guess, although we wouldn't call them stars. Yeah. We'd say angels. Um, so... But it's all there. So this idea in the translator mind builds on itself. So as they start building, well, what what fell? Well, day, the day star, the sun of the dawn. Yeah. Well, culturally, they can connect all these dots and they can make it about the devil linguistically. You mean the translators for the KJV? Yeah. Yes. So they had a specific theology that they read back into the words that they were able to make it about Lucifer. And then this passage about Lucifer somehow got connected with Satan. Mm -hmm. But contextually, it just doesn't work. So like, even though the language could somewhat build, and then with taking later thoughts and writing those back into the text, we could maybe get to it being Satan. The context just shoots it down right away. Yeah. So you'll see this... Um, do you feel like reading? Because I've been talking a lot. Sure. So, Isaiah, this is a long passage. We're he gave reading. me the long one in the KJV. No, it's not in KJV oh, anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. Um, Isaiah 14, <clears throat> uh, this is verses 3 through 22, says this. When the Lord has given you rest from your pain and turmoil and the hard service with which you have been made to, uh, which you were made to serve, you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. So that's who this is to. 
this is written to the king of Babylon. Yeah. Because this is, we're reading the, the, we're reading before what we just read in the yeah. KJV. Yeah. So Isaiah is, is taking a taunt to the king of Babylon. Yeah. A literal a, ruler of a nation. Yeah. This okay. is a prophetic um, or, mic dropping moment. Like when the prophets went to the kings, they basically show up in the king's throne room and give this message or so, is close to the king's throne room so in the narrative god is telling isaiah you're going to go to the king of babylon this is what you're going to say yes and this is what he says how the oppressor has ceased the insolent fury ceased the lord has broken the staff of the wicked wicked and the scepter of rulers that struck the people in wrath with unceasing blows that ruled the nations in anger with unrelenting persecution the whole earth is at rest and quiet. They break forth into singing. The cypresses rejoice at, your, at you. The cedars of Lebanon saying, Since you were laid low, no woodcutter comes up against us. Sheol beneath is stirring up to meet you and to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you, all who are leaders of the earth. It raises from, it raises from their thrones all who were kings of the nations. All of them will answer and say to you, You too have become as weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp is brought down to Sheol. The, surround, the sound of your harps. Maggots are laid in the beds beneath you. The worms um, are your covers. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, who laid the nations low. You have said in your heart, I have ascended to heaven above the stars of God. I have set my throne on high. I will sit at the mount of, of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend from the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. But you, brought, you were brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the man who was made, who made the earth tremble, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you are cast out, away from your grave, like a loathed branch, clothed with the slain who is pierced by the sword, who go down to the stones of the pit, like dead bodies trampled underfoot." You will not be joined with them in burial, because you have because you have destroyed your land. You have slain your people. May the offspring of evil doers never more be named. Prepare slaughter for his sons because of the guilt of their fathers, lest they will rise and possess the earth and fill the face of the world with cities. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of hosts. I will cut off from Babylon name and remnant, descendants on posterity, posterity, declares the Lord. I will make it a possession of the hedgehog and pools of water, and I will sweep it with a broom of destruction, declares the Lord of hosts. So what I'm getting out of this is that the hedgehog makes out really well. The hedgehog always makes out well. Have you ever seen Sonic the Hedgehog? He always picks up those coins. And All the territory that Babylon conquered, it will become a possession of the hedgehog. hedgehog. <laughs> um, so Sorry, that was a long passage, but what I wanted to do is we're going to highlight chunks of it. So the beginning and the end cap it yeah. with Babylon. And I've, and I've, so in seminary and all this, this is what they teach you, right? They will say that the first part is Isaiah coming 
and saying, this is what the king of Babylon is like. And then at verse 12, Satan has possessed the king of Babylon and that all of a sudden, um, Isaiah's narrative changes from speaking to the king of Babylon to the person who's possessed that king of Babylon. And it's a little sci-fi for me. It's a little overreaching. Yeah. Because all of a sudden it's like, oh, we can tie this into Satan because he wanted to be like the most high. Because that was Satan, right? That was Satan who wanted to be like the most high. People want to be like the most high. That's yeah. actually the story of the Bible. Yeah. That if we take it back to Genesis, why do they eat the fruit? Because they wanted to become like the most high. Yeah. But this is what some people who are listening are going to say. They're going to say, but I was always told that at verse 12, it changes. Yeah, it can't um, for a couple of reasons. Um, one, in verse 16, it says, Is this the man who made the earth tremble? tremble. Yeah. Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities? Who did not let his prisoners go home? I mean, that's personal. That's speaking directly about the Israelites being unable to be sent back to their... I mean, they were in exile there. Yeah, this is Isaiah coming to the king of Babylon saying... This is, let's go home. <clears throat> this is personal. And then the day star, O son of dawn, um, that is the phrase that gets translated as Lucifer. Yeah. Um, which maybe O day star is still not the greatest translation. Maybe we should just say O shiny one. O shiny one, yeah. <laughs> that would be the most literal yeah. based on the text. Um, the other reason that we tend to turn this into Satan is because all of the Sheol talk. Yeah. So every time you see the word Sheol in the King James, they translate that as hell. hell. And so there's a lot of hell talk, and then there's this Lucifer talk, and we build up this big image, and it's all fitting our puzzle pieces together, and we completely ignore that at the beginning and the end of this paragraph, this um, decree, it's sandwiched with, go tell Babylon this, at the end... The and, hedgehog yeah, the, roams Babylon. Yeah, yeah, the hedgehog gets all Babylon's possessions. Yeah. <laughs> so because the, the, inside of the narrative, when we we bring our own baggage and our own preconceived ideas of what we've been taught for generations, really, as we come to verse 12, how you have fallen from heaven to Sheol, basically. So we have this, this yep. picture has always been painted that Lucifer was thrown out of heaven with a third of the angels. And this is the narrative where it starts. That's not where it starts. It actually starts in uh, the book of Enoch. Enoch. But, for, but if you're reading right. the scriptures, the Bible, right. as in okay. the Fair canon enough. that we include, <clears throat> even enough. though there is a lot of rich stuff that we find in mm. the other books, which could have been canonized, but we don't need Yeah. We are building there, so it's not like this is going to leave here. But it is important to look at this and say, you know what? This is not about Satan. However, sometimes people can elevate themselves, especially a king of an empire like Babylon, can elevate themselves to become very wicked. Mm -hmm. And when you are the king of a global empire, you somehow think that you are above the rest of creation, somewhere between gods and men. There was a presidential candidate recently who said he didn't have anything to ask God for forgiveness for. Really? Yeah. In an interview. Is, is he our president? He's currently the president of the country. Oh, I didn't hear that one. 
Um, that's sad. Yeah. But it, so, that's the idea, isn't it? This yeah. idea that the kings, or this specific king, the king of Babylon, mm-hmm. oppressed and destroyed nations, and Isaiah is coming in to rebuke him for it. Yep. That is the context of this this whole thing portion that we just read. Yeah, when we read the Bible, not just cite verse our way through things, that's what's happening. We're talking about the king of Babylon. Now, if you if somebody were to come up to me and say, Lucifer, I don't go all like Bible nerd on him. I know what people are, what they mean when they say Lucifer. Yeah. But the the point that I'm trying to make is, <clears throat> it just shows how much um, injustice we've done to the Bible that we turn a couple verses that slightly resemble a narrative that we believe because of later passages, and then we superimpose it back onto a text to totally change the idea. When the true message of this is. When empires get out of hand and they suddenly believe that they are above the rest of humanity and when they believe that they can ascend into heaven and call the shots for the world and take God's job from him, that's when stuff really gets bad. Yeah. And the line is even in there. Other kings that aren't as crazy or ambitious as you, they're all buried with their wealth in their lands but your nation is going to spit you out. The ground won't even have you <laughs> yeah. because you've slaughtered so many people, because you've taken people's lands and homes away. Mm-hmm. The land itself won't allow it. It won't bury you. The grave won't take you. Yeah. Um, so the, the whole context of this is it's a critique of empire. And we've taken that critique of empire and then thrown away two-thirds of it because we don't know what to do with it and then taken one-third and said... Well, here's our picture of Satan. <laughs> and I think a lot of it happens, and I'm, and I'm hesitant, but we'll say it anyway, I'm hesitant to say it, but that we learn from a younger age through the flannel graphs of our era or through the multimedia of today's kids and Sunday schools, we learn the story before we read the scripture. So yep. the, the, the person of Satan is presented as thrown out of heaven and all this, and then all of a sudden we get to a, a scripture that we read through Isaiah. And we're like, oh, this is where they get this from. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think we have some extremely well-intentioned people teaching bad character, not character skills, but bad character builds of, of Satan mm-hmm. to young people who carry this along with them for the rest of their lives. And then when they finally try and read it and say, oh, this is where it's found because they're bringing that baggage into it already. Satan is thrown down, just not in this passage. No, not in this passage, yeah. Right. Yeah. We'll get there. We'll, yeah, we'll two, get to two, two episodes from now. We'll get to Revelation. Actually, we'll get into it in the intertestamental period. But, yeah, definitely in Revelation. So it's not like we're saying that the devil's still up there in heaven doing his thing. Yeah. Um, he was thrown down. Um, there's actually really cool parallelisms between Jesus ascending and the devil being oh. thrown down. Yeah. Um, specifically, we had an accuser standing at the right hand of God. Now we have an advocate, have an advocate at the right hand of God. So there's, there's cool stuff. I don't want people to think that we're... We're, we're not saying that Satan wasn't thrown out of heaven. Yeah. I would almost say that... But in, this passage is not about that. And 
Well, and I, Lucifer's not a name for the devil. Devil, yeah. If we're talking properly. Yeah. So this passage has zero to do with this idea of Satan. Right. The only way you can get there is say, well, this guy was really bad. Therefore, he was... Some of these threats also apply to Satan. Yeah. That's the closest you can get. And, but it can, it can go for any... These threats could also go towards any empire who builds up to this point. Yep. So, so to summarize this, to, to summarize this episode, episode, then we've been looking at Satan yep. inside the Old Testament. Yep. Talked about three times where he's mentioned, or the word Satan is mentioned in the in that, and then yep. the one narrative in Isaiah where people pull the idea of Lucifer into it. Yep. To summarize Satan in the Old Testament, what would you what would you say? I'd say that he's a supernatural being that functions as an adversary against mankind or um, to simplify it, I think the easiest way is just to see him as like a prosecuting attorney. Okay. Like he is the default prosecuting attorney criticizing mankind for what they do. Yeah. Which is a little bit different. And like we said, we're building on three episodes. So this is not like the final, this is who Satan is. But inside of the New Testament context, or Old this Testament. Old Testament context, yeah. sorry. This is the character that we're given. Yep. Um, and really, next episode is going to be a little crazy because we're going to get into a little bit of the apocalyptic world yeah. view. Um, so we're going to read some Book of Enoch. Um, we'll also use references from like Enoch to show where Revelation gets some of its language from. And then we'll actually go into the New Testament too. Because if you take the character that's been developed in a little way in the Old Testament and look at the way Satan is used in the New Testament, there's stark differences. And it seems like a big leap all of a sudden if you leave out the intertestamental stuff. Right. No, exactly right. Because if you you leave off with this passage in um, Zechariah, and then you all of a sudden appear in Matthew with the temptation in the wilderness. You're like, well, what's this guy doing? He's not <laughs> even doing his job anymore. Yeah. Like, why is he out there tempting? He's supposed to just be criticized. He's supposed to be up in heaven. Why is he down on yeah. earth? Yeah. Kind of deal as well. Yep. Yeah. He's supposed to be in meetings with God. Why is he down here? Yeah. And then why is he trying to get Jesus to do bad things? So... We're 62 minutes in. That's not terrible. No, it's not. Um, so we had a friend sponsor our beers for this evening. Thank um, you, Mr. Tice. Yeah, Mr. Jeff Tice gave us New Glarus Brewing Co. Spotted Cow. He said it's one of his favorites, and he gave us a couple bottles. Um, we do take those donations, by the way. Yeah. Um, so this is actually made in Wisconsin. It's a farmhouse ale. Um, let's see. I don't know. What did you taste in it? Um, hops, water, malted barley. I'm reading <laughs> out the side of it. Okay, um, it was, so it was as, good. as farmhouse ales go, it, it was solid. Yeah. Um, it's not overbearing, so I think it's pretty drinkable. It's one of those ones that you could drink a couple of, and I mean, it doesn't have it doesn't have a super hoppy taste where you're where you're sipping it. You can. Right. You can go for it. Yeah. 
Unfortunately, we only had one each. We did, Jeff. Come on. But thank you, Jeff, for, for that donation. I, I also tried um, Goggle Tan. I looked at that. That's interesting. It was good. It was it, red ale. Mm. But. All right. Well, thank you for joining us um, for the first episode of season two. Yep. Next, um, next episode's going to get a little weird. We'll get weird. <laughs> um, so um, if you want to catch up on season one, that's all on. You can get you can find it on Spotify or Google Music, um, Play Music. You can find it on iTunes. Feel free to subscribe. You can send us notes on Facebook about reviews. You can review it. Let us know what you think. And we love your feedback. Feedback is always good. And to our new follower in California, hi. Yeah, hi, hi. new follower. <laughs> All right, you guys have a All good right. one, and we'll uh, catch you guys in the next one. Yeah, see ya.